From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. We're just basically sitting around. I try to drink 10 beers in an hour, get annihilated, curse a lot. Good Lord, Cofield. You have eaten your share of hot dogs in your life. Have you not? I'm an American. I don't want to be muzzled. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, let's do it. Five o'clock hour, Cofield and Company. Adam Candy is the company today. Ari's along in the Finley Toyota Studios. Cofield with more Raiders talk on the way. We'll get to uh, what exactly is going on with VGK and some rumors out there. Some big names out. Big name making his debut just a day away. That's really cool. And then uh, more news on masking so i'm sure ari will have a bunch to say on that five o'clock hours here let's do it battle born injury lawyers presents the big five at five number five you know we talked about the nevada betting handle candy pushing 180 million dollars they won eight and a half percent um there is one guy i know who just really destroyed the books I mean, this could have been like a 15% win if it had not been for you and your Cam Akers bet. Boy, I wish I had more on Cam Akers at 20 to 1 for first reception in the game than I did. Uh, but Cam Akers, 20 to 1 first reception, 10 to 1 first Rams reception, plus 170 to have a reception before Joe Mixon. And then I think I told you on Sunday that the other bet that I had the most invested in was Cam Akers under rushing yards. And, buddy, let me tell you, that was not a sweat. Uh, Cam Akers got nowhere near the 63 and a half rushing yards. But, um, you know, sometimes sometimes you run pure. I did not do that last year in the Super Bowl. I got absolutely wrecked uh, with the Buccaneers and uh, with chasing the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. This year, a little better. Yeah, I went 6 of 15 on my props. Oh, boy. The question is not what your record was. It was, did you were those all flat staked, or did you have more in certain ones, or did you did you hit on some of the more profitable ones? How did you put that again? Flat staked. Did you bet the same on every one of them? Well, I get it. I just wanted to make a joke about. Oh, a flat oh, stake. I'm sorry. So I've I'm never sorry. heard it before. I didn't, I, listen, Miles Simmons. I didn't know you were judging all of my topics here. I'm, I've never, I've never heard flat staked. I like it. I, li- I like it a lot. Uh, yes, they were flat staked. I bet the same amount on every single wager. Okay. Well, so you know what? total yards. The the uh, the fact that the Bengals did not get a first down um, and gain about twelve more yards because I had a couple of plays that hinged in a bunch of different ways on total yards with the Bengals leading and they wound up falling short three thirteen to three oh five. Well, how about? Damn it! Damn it! How about having plus 270 on no receiver to get 100 yards and having T. Higgins get uh, exactly 100 yards? Cooper Cup doesn't go over. My plus 270 is feeling great. And yes, sir, ripping Jalen Ramsey's face mask for 75 yards certainly did not help. Can you explain to me what is the purpose of the uh, officials? I forget the official that spoke on behalf of the NFL, but why come out and lie? Why? We, Dude, we, we saw it. a grab of the face mask and the head was turned. It wasn't, I swear they put it as brushing across the face mask. There was a grip and the head was turned. Do you think Jalen Ramsey was trying to have his body facing T. Higgins 
and his face facing the end zone. I don't think that is normal coverage technique, although maybe we'd have to talk to the barbers like Sam Paniotovich and find out what they think about it. But, but tell you what, it cost us. Absolutely cost us. I'll tell you the other one I had. I had plus 190 on Van Jefferson to have more receptions than Tyler Boyd. And when Van Jefferson had four receptions, I thought, yeah, we're running pretty good here. Van Jefferson <laughs> with four receptions. And then I, wh- where the hell did Tyler Boyd end up with five catches in that game? I didn't see that. I didn't even see it during the game. The official's name was Ron Torbert. He's the one who was uh, put in front of people to say, no, no, you didn't see what you think you saw. Um, and the most important part of this, can we get official confirmation? I'm going to say, first of all, uh, Sam Paniotovich did make a wager with myself. It was a snowfall bet in Boston. I won a bottle of tequila. He was in Vegas. He paid off. You and I made a bet about Brian Flores being a head coach this coming season. I said no. You said yes. It suddenly turned. Or you missed this one. It suddenly turned Sunday morning where there was another condition added. Candy had to hit the 20 to 1 acres bet. Otherwise, he wasn't going to pay our original bet. Are we now good to go on this? Do I do I get my big payoff? I just said that was the only chance you had of me even considering it. Uh, oh, just I, considering I, it. Yeah, the, like I don't have that kind of money. Otherwise, like if you want me to go back in the archives and find the last bet we made that you did not pay off, I will happily do that, sir. Boy, Actually, this is won't really be, bad. You know what? It won't be happily. It won't be happily at all. I would feel terribly to have to do that. I think I, I paid terribly. them all off. I, I, I want the facts on this. Mm-hmm. What what bet mm-hmm. did I not pay off? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. What is it's going fine. on You here? know what? I'm just saying this is a show that that is about integrity, that is about being the man that you say you are. That's what Steve Cofield brings, authenticity to the airwaves of Las oh, Vegas. Boy. I trust that authenticity. If Steve Cofield tells me he does not owe me money, then... I believe him. I believe you, Steve. I you believe sound you. like you have some sort of wager you. that I didn't pay off. I if you mention you. it, then I'm good to go. I, no, that's that, that's fine. Listen, you are trying to cash in on a wager for a man who sued the NFL out of any chance of having anything can a happen. Coaching he's job still, this year. He's still a chance. Florence still had a chance to get three jobs. After oh, oh, absolutely. Yes, he was absolutely a candidate after he sued the oh, NFL. God. No question about it. I no so nailed. I it. so nailed that prediction when everyone was in a freaking lather the day he got fired, and I said he's not getting a head coaching we'll job s- when all nine openings were still I, available. I will consider it. I told you wow. Acres had to hit for me to consider it. I will consider it after consultation mm-hmm. with Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Number four. So I'm going to bring this up. I don't know what happened. I don't. I did. I still didn't see it. I haven't watched a replay, but. Are we now a lot of the talking head shows that are basically are just bits. Are we now just going to look for stuff to be outraged about in the Super Bowl? I didn't even see Eminem take a knee. Then I start to see the NFL knew it was going to happen. If I'm correct, didn't he take a knee in the middle of the halftime show? How is that offensive? We, so now we can't take a knee anywhere, anytime. What, what is happening here? I watched the entire halftime show rapt attention. I saw Eminem kneel and it never occurred to me that there was a significance to it. Didn't even pop into my head. And then after the game, I went on social and saw everything that was going on and thought, oh, cool. Well, good for Eminem. But I had no idea in the moment that anything was happening because 
kneeling during the first few bars of a Dr. Dre song doesn't really feel like the same as the outrage no. over kneeling during the national anthem. I don't I don't I don't know what's going on here. Ari, did you get any explanation on this? I don't know. I mean, Willie was like all fired up yesterday to fight and claw about this thing and I'm like, I to me, if you're buying into this, you're just playing into a bit. He kneeled during a song. That's... Not at the beginning of the game. Not some patriotic deal. It was during a performance. I'm I'm so lost. Yeah, I couldn't have put it better myself. It's one of those things like you you had to find that to get annoyed by it to actually. Uh, and when one thing, I'll just I'm just gonna debunk this with one thing. Someone pointed this out on Twitter. Real simple. When you see him do it, there is like a clear cut line in which you know they rehearse this stuff. He walks right up to the line, kneels right there in the center of the thing. I mean, obviously it was rehearsed. So whatever, like, the outrage is. So what know. do we think it was for? That part, I, it could be for anything. There's, like, like Willie mentioned, you know, the boss of Nipsey Hussle, among others, Tupac. I mean, it literally could be anything. It could be subliminal. I'll give you that. But this was not like, hey, everyone, look at me and get outraged because this is why I'm kneeling. And I, I didn't get that. So I feels like it's just part of the show and should all just get over it and move on is eminem suddenly about subtlety is that the new persona for marshall mathers because marshall mathers has never really shied away from saying exactly what's on his mind so why would it be right. shrouded in mystery now the uh, the game had a total viewing number of 112 million uh for about 15 minutes in the middle of that halftime show i guess that was the halftime show um I think it was 8.15 to 8.30 Eastern time. The halftime show, uh, show got an audience of about 101.2 million. So all but 10% of people stuck around to watch the halftime show. And, and as I said yesterday, it's one of the first halftime shows I can remember where lots of people were singing along and there was clapping during and afterwards. So i had a moment during that halftime show that i did not expect whatsoever i was watching the show uh with my mother and all of a sudden mary j blige comes on and she starts dancing she starts really? singing singing and she looks at me and she goes i like her i like her do you like mary do you like mary j i was like ah, you bonded way to go way to go mom Way to go. Not, I mean, look, my mom's been on the floor to Lady Gaga show. Like, I wasn't surprised that she's interested in modern music, but that one caught me off guard. Yeah, that would be awesome. My, my mother's, I'm assuming, a little older than yours, so I don't want to say her age on the air, but it's close to uh, 80. If she, if we were watching together and she was like, yeah, I like that Snoop, I'd be like, what, what, what? Like, what? yeah. Well, I mean, he, he actually, he's he is such a marketing dynamo, and he's such a crossover guy in commercials that you could see someone who's like 75, maybe getting familiar with his music if they had no clue who he was or weren't interested back in the 90s. Hey, I mean, you, you could watch a Corona commercial and all of a sudden you're like, hey, Snoop, that's pretty good. I should check out this Bad Bunny, too. Uh, oh, yeah. Number three. I checked out Bad Bunny. Not bad. Not bad. It's on my, uh, it's on my list for jukeboxes so, at bars. Why not? Jukeboxes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Why not? Try to stir things up at the, at the, at the point yeah. I look around, I see yeah. the crowd, and I'm like, you know what? This crowd needs Bad Bunny right now. I can't imagine how many times you've said to yourself, this crowd needs Bad Bunny it's right now. More, right often this than, moment. more often than more, you think. More often than you think, buddy. Yeah. All right, so what's going on with Tom Brady? 
because he uh, he opened things up last week. Um, then we've got Al Breer from SI uh, talking about Brady coming back, but not with the Buccaneers. And he's describing some scenario where Brady maybe feels like the Bucks didn't go for it, that the Bucks should have been involved on Odell Beckham. Maybe they couldn't gotten they could have gotten other help. I mean, is is this real? Like behind the scenes, Tom Brady is complaining that the Bucks didn't do enough for him. The Bucks willingly brought in Antonio Brown after Bruce Arians had clearly said, "I'm not bringing that guy in." And so, if that's not enough, I would be surprised. I don't think that we need to get too deep into Tom Brady and what he liked and what he didn't in Tampa Bay. The guy is 44 years old and chose to retire after winning seven Super Bowls, including the ultimate FU to Belichick going off to Tampa Bay and winning one without him while Belichick continues to flounder with Mac Jones. So let's not get too deep into this. And you know what? Can we let the man be retired for a week before we start all this and turn it into Brett Favre all over again? Well, didn't didn't he open up the door? Didn't he open up the door? Oh, because he said never never say never. never. Come on. Why is that opening the door? That's Tom Brady choosing to retire very publicly and what? Never say never because he's a smart enough guy to say maybe a year at home with Giselle isn't all it's cracked up to be. Why do I have the sneaky suspicion that never say never is going to be some new tagline for his car rental company that he pitches? Where he's like, let's go. Never let's say go is in a commercial. Now we're going to have never say never. Never say you. How about something for TB12 avocado ice cream? Oh, you oh oh! You said you would never, you would never eat non-dairy ice cream, huh? And then I had my first taste of Doc Guerrero's avocado slushy, and I thought, <laughs> ooh, baby, yeah, never say never. I'm super content and happy with how I feel and my decision. I'm going to do things that I really enjoy and spend time with people that I really enjoy spending time with. I look forward to the opportunities that are ahead. And I look forward to speaking with everyone again next year. And uh, I hope it just keeps getting better and better from here. And then I will come back in week eight of next season. Roger Clemens style, right? Announce it mid-game. Like, after they've watched... <laughs> Blaine oh, Gabbert, no, don't, don't, stumble don't around announce, for two don't quarters. Don't announce it mid-game. Don't no, announce it uh, mid-game. No, he's going to come running out of the locker room in the third quarter. They're going to come from 20 points back against the Saints. And it's going to be, uh, oh, my God, he really is our Lord and Savior. We need Susan Waldman from Yankees fame. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's George. Andy Pettit knew it. Of all the dramatic things. <laughs> Such a great line. Oh, we oh love you, I love Susan. I of love all the dramatic. <laughs> Number two. Oh, it's one of my favorite moments. Very inside baseball, like literally inside baseball. Literally. Uh, with some, some Yankee history. All right. Raiders staff is coming together. We're going to talk to Adam Hill in just a little bit. Uh, Raiders insider, member of the company, and he's back from the Super Bowl, so we'll break down the Super Bowl a little bit. I know you mentioned uh, Mick Lombardi. And some questions there with nepotism and super young guy at 33 years old. And also your questions about Antonio Pierce coming in. You know, we talked a lot about character and we don't really know the exact details of what happened with Antonio Pierce in terms of the uh, ASU recruiting scandal last year. And then another part of the staff is, is this a guy with substance or style? Is it bombast or real football knowledge? Senior defensive assistant Rob Ryan back with the Raiders you know it is great hair 
God, he brings great <laughs> hair to the staff. Rob Ryan has a lion's mane befitting a true king, and I wish I could grow that. Like, I love what I got going right now, but it ain't Rob Ryan. So that's something I can speak positively about with the Raiders staff. My concern overall when it comes to this Raiders staff is that the whole idea here is a fresh start, right? A fresh start from Gruden. You clear out everybody. You clear out even Rich Passaccia, who proved to be a capable head coach for this team in getting them within one pass of tying the game against the AFC champions. So that being the case, if you're going to start over, why are you starting over with guys who come with questions? There are, there are so many ways to do this. It's not like there is a shortage in the National Football League of guys who could become a linebackers coach or an offensive coordinator. In fact, it's completely the opposite, right? It is something where we've spent the whole offseason talking about how coaching staffs need to have more diversity. They need to have more diversity, not just in terms of people of color, but in terms of giving those from outside traditional football families an opportunity. So, yes, hiring Patrick Graham, hiring Antonio Pierce, the Raiders are bringing on people of color in spots where it obviously is needed throughout the NFL. Antonio Pierce comes from a college program that under Herm Edwards has major questions about its ethics and coming off the John Gruden situation. Is that really what the Raiders should be doing? I don't want to get too fired up about a linebackers coach. It's a linebackers coach. But in the end, is it necessary to do these sorts of things when you're a franchise looking for a fresh start? It feels a little bit forced. Number one, the bigger return coming up here in the next month or so for the Vegas Golden Knights. Jack Eichel, eventually Mark Stone, or Marc-Andre Fleury? You know, Steve. Here we go. I can't believe after I said, I said two hours ago, don't do this to the fans. Do not do this. I'm not doing it. Frank Saravelli's doing doing it right now. Frank Saravelli put out a report. You you are just a stooge for Frank Saravelli, and we all know it. (laughs) It's been this way for years, and I'm not going to stand for it anymore. You and Frank are thick as thieves. I can't. You and all the Canadian hockey reporters. This has been a problem for years, and I'm not going to stand by and let it happen. I'm not going to let you tell the people that Marc Andre Fleury <laughs> is coming back to the Golden Knights just because Frank Saravalli reported it earlier today. Frank Saravalli said that because Robin Leonard is injured, we don't know the extent of the injury because it's hockey. We never know what the extent of the injury is. But could Marc Andre Fleury come back, or is Frank Saravalli maybe? a loyal press box listener on ESPN Las Vegas because I suggested two weeks ago that the Golden Knights look into bringing back Marc-Andre Fleury when Robin Leonard was healthy and struggling. Scoop! He had a scoop! And our man Ryan Wallace said, never. Can't happen. And I said, you know what? I think it would be great. And Frank Saravalli agrees. The only problem is Kelly McCrimmon, the GM of the Golden Knights, does not agree at all. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon came out today in a press conference and said, let me be very clear, this isn't going to happen. So, Steve, I'm going to ask you the question I asked the audience earlier. Can we trust the guy who traded Marc-Andre Fleury in the first place to be telling us the truth about Marc-Andre Fleury? I would think. I would think. It's a very secretive organization. I think the organization's... Still, I would assume, very annoyed with the way Fleury has turned some fans against the organization. Yeah, Kelly McCrimmon said today about a Mark 
Andre Fleury reunion. There is absolutely no credence to that rumor at all. I wouldn't normally speak officially on such things, but there will be so much racket about this. It's important to let people know that's not going to happen. Are we being set up here? And furthermore, does this now set up another Smith's gift card bet? You and RTHG. I may have to put that together. Will it be actually paid off? Who knows? It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. The Rams scored a touchdown on ninth down. That's why the whole thing felt a tad anticlimactic, and it just didn't feel right. That's why I don't believe it goes down with the greatest drives of all time. The John Taylor touchdown broke the Bengals' hearts at the end of the 88 season. That Montana drives them right down the field. There weren't like three penalties that sort of, you know, changed the dynamic of everything. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Greeny saying the Super Bowl wasn't that good and nothing against Greeny, but there are sports talk hosts who connect with the people and there are those who don't. So I'll just leave it at that. I know where I was because I actually hang out with real people. Folks were fired up. They were very fired up. And I think the other thing that you know adds into the whole deal, Candy, now that we've become this nation that is gambling crazy, we always were. Now we can do it legally. If you had money on the game in different prop bets, then – it doesn't matter if it took nine plays inside the freaking 20-yard line. It was still an awesome ending. Look, it wasn't necessarily an anticlimactic ending just because of the bad holding call. And it was a bad holding call on Logan Wilson. There's no question about that. The officials jumped into the game when they had let things go much worse than that all the way to the end. But go tell a Rams fan that it that it wasn't interesting. Go tell someone who was waiting to see whether their bets were going to pay off. It wasn't interesting. Don't talk down to people. Don't tell them what they should think. From this show, don't talk down to people. We are of the people <laughs> for the people. Uh, some of us are. It's a vast, wide company world. Some of us are. Some of us like to think we are. We may not be either, but just get out amongst Listen to them. Watch their reaction. That's all I'm asking for. Please. Please. So baseball is banned from the show, but I do feel like we have to lift the ban here for a second. What did Matt Harvey admit to doing? What the, what just happened? Yeah. If you haven't been paying attention to baseball because of the lockout, this is the story you need to be watching. The trial of former Angels communications director Eric Kay, who if you remember when pitcher Tyler Skaggs died of an overdose, Eric Kay was the one who was found to be his supplier. He was actually getting him oxycodone. Uh, and now Matt Harvey, who cut a deal. Matt Harvey's testifying in court because he has immunity to get out of any problems for himself. I mean, we're hearing stories now about guys who are crushing up pills and snorting them in the clubhouse mid-game. And Matt Harvey talking about, yeah, I just needed to do some stuff to, to try to keep up. And this is the Matt Harvey who, if you remember, back when he was with the Mets, 
Matt Harvey was thought of as the next great thing and basically partied his way out of baseball before he got hurt. So now you look at what's going on here with the Angels and you have to start asking yourself, if this happened with Tyler Skaggs, if this happened with Matt Harvey, what in the hell is going on in baseball clubhouses that has nothing to do with steroids, that has nothing to do with greenies or uppers, that has to do with some serious, serious drug problems? Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. I had the privilege of working with Dan Marino. It's a cautionary tale of somebody that went to the Super Bowl his second year, maybe the greatest quarterback that ever played, and never got back. And this guy has a much better chance of being Joe Theismann or Andrew Luck than he does of going back to a Super Bowl if they don't fix this offensive line. And I would fix that offensive line literally at all costs. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. Mike Tannenbaum, former exec in the National Football League, uh, was the GM of the Jets. The Theismann comparison for Burrow is decent. The Luck comparison is terrible. Because in the end, the number one thing for Luck, leading to his early retirement, was the fact that he came from tons of money and... People describe him as a guy who liked football but didn't love football. I think Joe Burrow loves football. But to build on the point, Joe Burrow has taken a beating and was sacked 70 times this year in total, which means that going back to the draft, Adam Hill, I was actually correct. The Bengals should have taken Panay Sewell and not Jamar Chase. They didn't win the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, I don't know if they would have got there. Uh, if I was not for right. Jamar Chase. I was right. Uh, and, and by the way, Penny Sewell was really good, and I like Penny Sewell too, but he wasn't like a game-changing tackle either. He wasn't the second half of the year. Sure. Uh, but I, I just I don't know that they'd be there uh, in the Super Bowl without Jamar Chase. I don't, I don't know that you can say either way was the right answer. And by the way, I don't think you're drafting for one year anyway. So um, I think we'll see long-term. I always would prefer, I think, in most cases, to go offensive line over wide receiver, but Jamar Chase is a difference maker, a wide receiver, and it's a very, very special case in that you have a wide receiver that has already worked with the quarterback. They're already very, very good together. There's no building of chemistry. Like, that was a different case in Cincinnati. We, uh, we just played a clip from uh, Greeny and Get Up, and Greeny said because the last drive had penalties in there and there was a lot of plays that it was the Rams scoring at the end was anticlimactic. Did it feel like that in the stadium? Uh, yeah, it, it, it felt, I mean, at, at some point in that final, you know, final mess of, you know, whatever it was, 11 plays or something, once they got inside like the 15 yard line, um, it felt like you're just waiting for them to score and how much time was going to be there. And the real drive was going to be Cincinnati's drive to come try to tie it. Like it, it definitely felt like the touchdown was going to be inevitable, uh, at a certain point. Um, not, I know that's not the case. I, I, you know, they could have stopped them, and uh, they almost did stop them. But it felt like that was going to be the case. And then we're going to see, well, are the Bengals going to get anything? Are they going to get a field goal? Are they going to get a touchdown? Uh, that's definitely how it felt inside the stadium. Adam, the call that got made against Logan Wilson on the hold on Cooper Cup. Look, I understand a lot of people say, well, you know what? Uh, it's even because T. Higgins ripped Jamar Ram- uh, Jalen Ramsey's face mask to the ground. But... I always have more of a problem 
with a call that comes out of nowhere versus a call that doesn't get made. And to me, it felt like there are so many plays before that that could have been called, and did we jump in on that one to change the game? What was the consensus uh, in the press box on that one? Uh, well, I mean, it's, listen, first of all, A, you're so far away, B, you're writing. Like, it, it's tough. I think, you, I think you get a better view of those things on TV. But I think discussion-wise, it was certainly was about, hey, listen, if, you were, if you're a Bengals fan, and this, I say this all the time, and I know it's, it, it bothers people, whatever. As a Bengals fan, you should have been furious that T. Higgins wasn't called for offensive pass interference. You should. You should be mad at every single call that's wrong or bad or egregious on the field because then you have zero leg to stand on when there's a call that goes against you. You just don't. And if you weren't mad about it, if you, don't, if you weren't saying as a Bengals fan, man, we, we really got screwed as fans and as viewers by not seeing that play called, then you have nothing to say about Logan Wilson. But I actually don't even think it was a makeup call from that. I think it was a makeup call for the second down play, which was an obvious hold on the second down play just before the Logan Wilson call that really wasn't a call on the third down play. That's what I think they're making up for. I think the referees realized, oh, God, we just screwed that up. Uh, we should have called that right there. We didn't. Now we're going to throw a flag on this next play no matter what, and then people get up in arms about it. And I don't love makeup calls. I don't think they should be a real thing necessarily. But I do think you'd be looking back and saying, wait a minute, that second down play was an egregious defensive hold that they didn't call. Now the refs are trying to make, make up for it and call it on third down. Adam Hill covered the Super Bowl for uh, the RJ. He'll be back uh, this week. In fact, tomorrow he'll be out at Tom's Urban for the live show as we're kicking off watch parties at Tom's Urban right there around the corner from the fortress, the, uh, the front of New York, New York. All right, let's get to what the Raiders have done, and then we'll get to some of the rumors here uh, put out there by essentially the top guy in the Raiders in the world now, uh, Jordan Schultz. Uh, it's coming up in just a second, but – on what the Raiders have done with the coaching staff the last week or so, Candy's not super thrilled. What do you think of Mick Lombardi, Antonio Pierce, and Rob Ryan being added? I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting decisions for sure. I think first on Mick Lombardi, who, you know, is obviously – uh, somebody who comes from a football family, somebody who has Raiders ties as well with his father, uh, you know, for almost a decade uh, in the front office. Uh, but this was clearly a uh, a Patriots decision. It was a Ziegler and McDaniel's move to bring him in. Uh, offensive coordinator is not as important in this, you know, in this foundation because uh, it's going to be Josh McDaniel's calling plays and essentially serving as the offensive coordinator. This is more of a. Um, you know, advanced quarterback coach slash advisor uh, on the offensive side. And by all accounts, uh, one of the things that uh, Lombardi has been very good at uh, is creativity in the red zone and designing red zone offenses, which is something the Raiders have been very, very bad at uh, for a little bit. So um, if it helps in that area and if Josh McDaniels trusts him, um, I don't necessarily see the problem uh, with bringing him in. Uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't going to be a, an actual offensive coordinator. It wasn't going to be somebody calling plays. So um, I, I don't know why people are so you know frustrated or, or up in arms about you know somebody with not much experience because in the end it's not going to be an actual offensive coordinator. It's it's, it's another assistant on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. Rob, Rob Ryan is uh, he's a character. He's entertaining. Uh, he's had some success as a football coach. So uh, not, I'm not too uh, too worked up about that one either. Uh, Antonio Pierce I know raised a lot of eyebrows. Uh, but again, like these are you know younger position coach 
type guys that are coming up. I mean, they're very important. I think the position coaches are important. Uh, but I think the the thing that they're most important for is, you know, having the coach, the trust of the coaching staff and being able to relate to the players and then that kind of being that conduit in that area. And I think they're a very, they're very important on the staff, but um, the roles are, are such that you really just have to be able to, to be that kind of in-between person that, you know, takes care of their position, but also gets the message out that the coaches want to, and they clearly trust that he'll be able to do that. Josh McDaniels, last time around he was a head coach. Yeah, I know it was 10 years ago. He's learned all that stuff. Uh, but he was overwhelmed by the responsibilities. If a guy was overwhelmed the last time around, is it smart for him to be the OC and pass on hiring, you know, an experienced big name OC to run that unit? Is it too much for him? Well, one, he's older, uh, and I think he, he understands a little bit more. And and two, what we heard, and I, I know you heard some of the same things that I did coming out of Denver, was he wasn't overwhelmed by anything football wise. Uh, he was overwhelmed by things off the field, things in the, you know, in the administration and in the, um, you know, in some of the responsibilities of, you know, running an organization more than running a football team, um, and things behind the scenes. So, uh, I think it's a little different. And, and by all accounts, I think one of the big things that people have pointed out is that he is a different person in terms of arrogance. Like he was typical of somebody that would have that much success at that young of an age. I can do no wrong. Nobody can tell me anything. I know more than everyone. Look how smart I am. I'm here when I'm only 33 or whatever it was. Now he's, you know, he's had some some lack of success under his belt. He's been, as he said, a failure as a head coach. Uh, I think that humility changes a lot. It, it probably leads you to, you know, be a little bit more mature in how you're able to handle things. And I wouldn't be too worried about that, you know, that part of it. Now, listen, none of that guarantees you're going to be successful. But but I do think that you know he's probably better prepared from that standpoint to uh, at least you know listen a little bit more and not just think you know everything all the time and and that you know losing will do that to you. His quarterback appears to be Derek Carr, Adam. Although the reporting today has been sort of all over the place in terms of what the number on an annual value for a car extension would look like. We saw thirty, then we saw thirty-five. I've even seen million per year thrown around uh where do you think this ultimately lands where should it land for Derek Carr assuming he's staying well it, it does matter right I mean I think if, it, if you're telling me it's 30 I think it would be much more in, inviting to me uh, to stick around with him. I mean if you're telling me it's gonna be 40 million dollars he can you know go find that elsewhere um I think that's a very big difference in terms of how you're constructing a team for the next couple of years uh, I don't think it's the worst. I don't. I don't think McDaniel's and Ziggler think it's the worst thing in the world if Derek Carr is their quarterback. But I also don't think they're married to it. And, and I do. I am skeptical of some of the reporting um, because, from what we understand, none of this has been talked about with Derek Carr or his agent. This is all in the media. And to me, if that is the case, and if you know those sides are being honest about that, and if this is being done in the media and not at the negotiating table, it's to drive the value up and say, hey, the Raiders really, really want their car. Maybe it's going to take a little bit more to get him away from the Raiders. Uh, that's possible. Uh, or even get other teams interested and say, oh, maybe if they really like him, maybe we should like him too. Uh, it seems like that's kind of where this is going. Um, I, I think I, I would I would like to think that they're probably in the same boat as I am. If you have some cost certainty and it's not uh, cost prohibitive, the Derek Carr probably is the right quarterback for the job. But if it's going to be upwards of $35 million a year for two or even three years, there's no way I'm doing that deal. 
So doesn't this leave us then in the exact same place we were with John Gruden with just the numbers being different on Derek Carr where we're saying, yeah, he'd be fine having Derek Carr as his quarterback, but he's not married to it. Sure. and I, Well, I think ideally for the Raiders, um, I, I would like to think that their ideal scenario is for Derek Carr to play the final year of his contract without signing an extension. I mean, I think that they would love that. I just don't know that Derek Carr is going to do that. I mean, if I were if I were the Raiders, that's what I would want. If I was Derek Carr, that I would I would not show up. I mean, I think I think both sides of that are how I would be handling it. If the Raiders would love to have that deal, nineteen million for one more season, sure, that's fine. And if Derek Carr is agent, I'm not showing up at training camp, and I'm holding out and making sure that that doesn't happen. So that's the weird spot that they're in. That. I think the Raiders would love to just keep the contract they're on. Uh, Derek Carr's side obviously would want an extension in order to come back, and I think it would be much easier to trade him uh, if he had an extension as well. Uh, but that's always what it's going to be, right? I mean, I think that's that's how every team is going to, for the most part, be looking at their quarterback situation of, you know, we like this guy, we want to have him as our quarterback, we're okay with it, but it's not going to be at one of these exorbitant contracts. And uh, I think teams are starting to learn a little bit better uh, that, you know, just because – you know, just because you have a quarterback doesn't mean you have to pay him an exorbitant amount of money and you don't have to be married to him long-term. We're going to see, I think, a lot of teams kind of move on from quarterbacks that they thought uh, might be their long-term answer here. Adam Hills with us. So going back to the genesis of this, you know, $35 million number, you're saying that that is generated from Camp Carr or from the Raiders? Because I'm trying to figure out who Jordan Schultz is so tied in with. Jordan Schultz is a relatively long-time media person, probably around 10 or 12 years now. If folks don't know, um, his dad, Howard Schultz, is the Starbucks guy. So when Jordan wants to go and run Starbucks, he can do that. Um, he's clearly, because he, he's had a bunch of Raiders reports recently, he's clearly got some kind of tie, either to the organization or Camp Carr. So where do you think it came from? Yeah, but I almost feel like his side is the Patriot side. Uh, it seems like maybe Ooh. since they've been around, that's where that's yeah. where it's been kind of happening. Um, so I, I would think it's maybe the guys that are that are in now. I think it's McDaniel's and Ziggler, and that's kind of what I'm indicating. Of this seems to be something that the that is being pushed through the media and not actually at the negotiating table. Uh, that they you know are interested in signing him, but it's going to have to be the right deal and. That would also line up with, hey, you know, if if they're coming in and saying we're moving on from Derek Carr and putting that out there, then who's trading anything for? Nobody. Why yeah. would you? He's going to be available. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I would think that they want to make it seem uh, whether they want him or not. I mean, that doesn't even mean that they could put this out there and still sign him and still keep him. Like, that's very possible. But the last thing you want is for your quarterback going into the last year of the contract with zero value at all uh, if you do want to move on from him. So I think there's a little bit of games being played in terms of, hey, we're not, we're not against the idea of keeping him and signing him, but we're also, we also want to make sure that other teams might be interested as well. So we have to get your reaction to the VGK story of the day, and it should be this uh, megastar on the horizon. He was already a, a megastar, but on the horizon for the Knights and Jack Eichel playing tomorrow in his first appearance. But what's your reaction to media member Frank Saravalli suggesting that, hey, Leonard being hurt that could lead to a reunion with Mark Andre Fleury and the Knights. And then Kelly McCrimmon, GM Cam today came out and said, uh, you know, I don't like to comment on this stuff publicly, but that ain't going to happen. Yeah. I thought, I thought that was the most interesting part of this, that, 
Um, McCrimmon's not lying about that. He really does not like to talk about these things. He lets these rumors just go out there and float out there and doesn't really mention them. And he was very direct uh, with the this is nonsense uh, discussion. Um, Who who would be more against it, the Knights or Flurry? I don't even know. I'm sure that both sides are. Listen, we've talked about this. The Knights are going to do whatever it takes to win. I don't think they're going to let personal feelings get in the way. But Marc-Andre Flurry outright trashed the organization, and I'll just say right now, is a liar. Marc-Andre Flurry is a liar. He torched the organization on the way out. And maybe he's not a liar all the time, but he was in that situation. And so I, I, if I was McCrimmon and, and the rest of the brain trust at the, at the Golden Knights, I would be like, okay, we're really going to bring this guy back in who already flamed through us. Um, now, I do think at some point they would be like, yeah, if we need to win, we, we might need him. But I don't know that Flurry would want to do that either. Like, would he want to come back on this, on this comeback tour? After, listen, if, the, if they really treated you the way you said they did, would you really entertain the option of – Coming back, I mean, it's silly on both ends. Yeah, I, I mean, um, if, I, if, I felt, if I felt like that and I felt like, hey, I can, you know, I'll show them that they made a bad decision by winning them a cup, you know, they're, they're coming groveling to me, yeah, I, I might be in for that. According to him, they, they trashed him and treated him like garbage. Like, why would you want to go bring in an organization of Stanley Cup to the organization if they really treated you that way? Yeah. Like, yeah. Th- that's insane. Um, obviously, we know they didn't. He was lying about it, but, I mean, why would you, if that was the case, if you were telling the truth, why would you want to do that? It seems weird on both sides. Now, I will say, again, they've shown that they'll do whatever it takes to try to compete and try to win, so perhaps maybe something would be there. I think this really just comes down to how hurt is Robin Leonard. How bad is it? Um, will Would they need somebody long-term? Are they going to need somebody in the playoffs? Those things would be part of the equation, but it just seems like a really weird story. Adam, good spot. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Yep, talk to you guys. There he is. Adam Hill, part of the company. Las Vegas Review Journal. Candy's here. It's Cofield. Ari's in our Finley Toyota Studios. On the way back, we'll get you set up for a pretty busy night around the uh, world of men's hoops in the Mountain West Conference. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents... Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Tread lightly on this one, Candy. So tomorrow, the Run Rebels take on Fresno, a Fresno State team that kind of got them in the middle of the game at the Thomas and Mac and held off a UNLV comeback late. Donovan Williams is on the trip. Donovan has been out for the last few games. He's been dealing with uh, calf and knee injury. He's on the trip. Uh, Paloma from Fox 5 said uh, that he participated in practice yesterday. So I will say this could make a big difference down the stretch, but I will also say I'm not sure if he's 100%, so I don't know about his availability for every game the rest of the way. And Kevin Kruger has been cagey with injury news, and that makes us a little bit wary in terms of what Donovan Williams might or might not be able to do. Right now, if you're UNLV, the only thing that matters is the conference tournament. And don't rush Donovan Williams back any sooner than he needs to come back because this team needs to be thinking about how do we make a run versus how do we do anything over the next month. Tonight around the conference, Wyoming, top 25 team, 21-3, and three, still with one loss in conference at New Mexico. Trap spot here. They're laying five and a half. Best game of the night is San Diego State against Utah State. This number's gone up 
uh, throughout the day. This could be a tricky one for San Diego State, especially if Matt Bradley is not 100%. And then Reno trying to get back on track with Grand Shurfield around. San Jose State is in town. If, if San Jose State can shoot it a little bit, they can stay in the game. So uh, it's going to be a good finish to the year for the Mountain West Conference. A lot of balance in the teams at the bottom are actually a little bit dangerous. And for the Rebels, again, just a matter of get healthy, get ready, get go for a run. Nothing else matters now. Tomorrow, come watch VGK at Tom's Urban at New York, New York with Cofield and company starting at 3.